Thank you all, and thank you all for being here today. I thank you for driving down the road and finding a parking spot. Got a little uh, situation happening over here, which I forgot about until I pulled up this morning. Uh, but you made it in. You didn't drive away. You didn't give up. You didn't drive home. You made it here, and we greatly appreciate your presence with us today. If you uh, took a look at your bulletin earlier, I don't know how many of you read these things, but I did put some information about today's message in that bulletin, what we're talking about. And you can see uh, from the description, today's sermon is called Embracing Your Calling. And there's a reason that God created you. This is what we believe. This is my personal belief, and this is what we believe as a church. There's a reason that God created you. He brought you into this world to fulfill a specific role, and you have been called by God to do something that only you can do. And sometimes this terminology we use, like being called or being ordained, we tend to reserve this terminology for people who like do vocational ministry or something like that. Let's just throw that out the window because all of us have been ordained. All of us have been called by God to fulfill a specific role. Believe it or not, discovering God's calling can be easy. Now, sometimes it's not that difficult. It's embracing God's call, doing what He has created us to do. That's where we struggle. There is this well-loved verse from Jeremiah, chapter 29. It's verse 11. And this is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we believe what God said to Jeremiah is true for all of us. He has a plan, a purpose for all of us. Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 10, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How much clearer can Paul be here? Like, yes, there is something that you were created to do. You were created in Christ Jesus to do something. This was prepared in advance for you to do. So there is a reason that you're here. You have a role to play in God's plan. And let me speak to those of you who are members of Hope Community Church. And by the way, membership here is a very informal thing, and yet it is a real thing. You become a member here when you decide, I am a part of this. I am a member here. And so to those of you who are members of Hope Community Church, you need to know that you have a role to play as a part of this body, as a part of this local church. And no one else, no one else can fulfill your role but you. No one else, whatever God has called you to do, created you to do, no one else can do it as well as you can. Now, over the years, uh, people have made fun of me for all sorts of reasons. And one of the reasons that people like to tease me is because I love Batman. Have I brought that up before? I love Batman. I have a fondness for Batman, right? I got Superman right in front of me, staring me down right here in the second row. I love Batman, and I have for a long time. I have as a kid, and I go back to when Batman 1989 was released, and there I was a kid watching this movie, and it was like, wow, what's going on here? And Bruce Wayne takes on this role fighting crime as Batman. Did I spoil it for you? Did you not know that Bruce Wayne was Batman? And there's this one scene in the movie, and it's not an action scene, it's not a, you know intense fighting, nothing's blowing up, but there's this scene in the movie where Bruce Wayne's girlfriend asks him a question. She says, why are you doing this, right? Ladies, if you're a significant other, if he was out there dressing up like a bat fighting crime, wouldn't you, why are you doing this? And he says, because nobody else can. 
And I thought, how about that? Because nobody else can. Now that's a movie, and that's fiction, I'm pretty sure. But I believe there's a truth to this idea that we all have, we are all Batman in a way. We all have something to do that nobody else can do. Now I'll tell you what, at this point in my life, and I don't know how this is going to come across, but I'm pretty sure I've figured out my calling, all right? Does that sound arrogant? Does that sound conceited? I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm sure God still has some more surprises for us, me and us all along the way, but at least the broad strokes in general, I think I've figured out why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. But I'll tell you that it took me a very long time to identify that calling, that, that purpose. I've told, you, I've, I've told you several times that I grew up in a church setting. So growing up in a Christian setting, growing up in a church setting, you're you're taught these things about purpose, you're taught these things about meaning, you're taught about Jesus, and, and I thought all that was wonderful, but when I turned 18, I left the church, and my intention was to leave the church and to take Jesus with me, to take my faith with me, to take my Christianity with me, and at that time, I believed that you could be a Christian, and you could have Jesus, and you could have salvation, you could have all of this, and, and not be connected to a local church. That's what I believed. I believe differently now. <laughs> And through my experience, I learned it doesn't work that way. And so anyway, I left the church. And when I left the church at that age, I had no intention of ever returning, of ever going back. I had no intention of ever regularly attending a church ever again. I certainly had no intention of ever volunteering in a church. And the idea of working, <laughs> are you kidding me? Working for a church was so absurdly out of the question. Are you kidding me? Ridiculous. And the whole concept of like planting a church, starting a church, I mean, when I was 18 and left the church, I didn't even know that that was a thing. I didn't know that churches could be started. I thought churches just closed, not started, right? And so all this stuff was so far off my radar. And at 18 years old, I had no intention of doing anything related to ministry on any level. But at 18, I started to read the Bible for myself. I sat down, I thought, I'm going to read this thing. I realized how long it was. I said, okay, let's do the New Testament. I realized how long that was. I said, right, let's start with Matthew. <laughs> let's read this. And so reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, and I realized how dynamic Jesus is, and I realized that this Jesus that I'm meeting in the pages of Scripture is, is bigger, it's fuller, he's He's dynamic, and it's like, why didn't I learn about this Jesus growing up in church? And so that's really no one's fault but my own because you can't, you can't take away this, this piece that's so essential to us, this reading the Bible. You have to read it for yourself. You can listen to somebody else tell you about Jesus, but you have to read it. You have to read it for yourself. And so I had this experience of getting to know Jesus from, directly from the Bible. And so a couple of years after I left church, guess what? I went back to my home church, too my local church, and I began volunteering at 20 years old. I began volunteering at my local church, and so at that point in my life, it's like, okay, I'm going to say yes to volunteering, and yes to volunteering to work with the youth group. When I was working with the youth group, the teenagers who were just a couple years younger than me, what I wanted to do there was just tell them about the Jesus that I met in the pages of the Bible, and so that's what I began to do, and then over time, there was a a job that became available to be the director of youth ministry, and so I applied for that job. And all I wanted to do wasn't qualified, wasn't educated, it wasn't experienced. All I wanted to do was just tell the teenagers about Jesus, the Jesus that I met in the pages of Scripture. And so now things are changing for me. I was said yes to volunteering. I said yes to vocational ministry. Isn't that a fun term? It's 
working for a church. I said yes to that. Every once in a while, as part of my job, I would stand up on a Sunday morning, and when the pastor didn't feel like preaching, I would get to. And so I'd stand up there and preach. Some of the teenagers would tease me when I would preach. What is this with teasing? People are always teasing me. They would tease me when I preach, and they'd call me PJ, which meant Pastor Josh. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's great, right? No, I have a sense of humor about it, right? But that's not a joking matter, right? Don't joke about the pastor thing because I'm willing to volunteer, I'm willing to work for a church, but I'm not willing to be a pastor. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I was 21 years old at that time. And I'm like, no, I want to be cool. I want to be hip. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be a pastor. I was single. I want girls to like me. I, want to, I don't want to be a pastor. That's going to get in my way. Don't joke about that. And so as part of going, being in, in that job and working with youth, I realized, okay, I need some education. I go to Bible college. I get trained there. And as you're going through Bible college and you're about to graduate and everybody's asking, okay, what's next? Are you going to go be a pastor? No, I'm not going to be a pastor. No. At that point in my life, I just convinced myself I'm going to write curriculum, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to write stuff for churches to use. And I'll volunteer at churches and I'll work in different roles. But I'm not doing the pastor thing. I'm not doing it. So I finished Bible college, and I figured I better put this to degree to use somewhere, and so I applied for jobs, and any job that had pastor in the title, I said, nope, I'm not doing it. Got a job as the director of children's ministry. I'm like, this is perfect. I have a good rapport with kids. I can work with kids. I've done this in the past. I've got the experience for it. This is perfect. Director of children's ministry. I apply for that job. I get that job my first Sunday. The head of staff walks by me and says, by the way, we're going to make you pastor of children's ministry. What? Do I have a say in this? What's going on here? And so I either had to quit or embrace it. Those are my options. And while I was trying to make up my mind, it just by default, I ended up slowly accepting and eventually embracing it. So there I was, finally accepting this thing. And listen, my, my grandfather was a pastor and actually his mom, my great-grandmother, was very active in the church, and, and my mom was a youth director at a church at one point in time. So there's this kind of family tradition that I was resisting and pushing back, and there were people in my family that wanted me to do this, and I was pushing against it. But finally, like, fine, this thing has now happened to me, and people are now calling me pastor. Can you just pause for a moment? What if that happened to you? I mean, can you imagine walking around with that title? People are going to expect you to know things and answer questions about Jesus and the Bible and life and relationships and all this. It's like, Whoa. And so, while I was there at Bethlehem Church, I'm like, okay, here I am, once again, in over my head, and I began taking seminary classes. The church paid for me to take those seminary classes, and while I was at Bethlehem Church, we were out there, and they had such a focus on community, be active in your community, be a part of your community, and here I was leaving my community to go be a part of that community. And so, this discontentment began to stir in my spirit, and I thought, God, isn't what I'm doing, isn't this good enough? I mean, here I am, I said yes to this. I've accepted this reality. Isn't this good enough? But I felt like God had something more for me right here. And the big fear was that thing that God had for me was planting, starting a church. Do you realize what this means, God? It means leaving my job. It means leaving my health benefits. It means leaving my salary. Can I just do what I'm doing here, can I try to do some kind of volunteer work or teach a Bible study in my own community and keep my relatively cushy job? I attended a Christian conferences. I was mulling all this over, and they gave a talk on, um, <clears throat> on really um, what it means to live out the Great Commission and what it means to, to go into this world and make disciples of all nations. And so the speaker was giving this talk, and he referenced the fact that when we look at the book of Acts, 
that the gospel is spread, it's not by one-on-one evangelism. I mean, yeah, that plays a part, but the gospel is spread through church planting. And I remember sitting in that conference, hearing that talk, and feeling that burning sensation. You know that burning sensation? Kind of like, it almost feels like um, acid reflux, but like on a spiritual level. Does anybody else know what that means? Like, you got to do this thing. And so reluctantly, after about 10 years, did you hear me? 10 years of resistance, I finally said, fine, let's do this thing. Now, we've been a church here for 11 years, and now, I mean, 11 years into this, it all seems obvious. Like, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do, and this works, and we're having a great time, right? Yeah, this all makes sense. It seems obvious now, but it didn't then. It didn't then. And here's what I believe. This is my story, and this is your story. This is a lot of people's story. That our resistance to embracing God's calling, that prevents us from being able to identify it in the first place. You know the type of thing I'm talking about? It's this thing of God, you know, I want to know your will for my life, but I'm afraid of what that will might be. Do you know what I mean? Like that seeking, what do you want, God, as long as, long as it's safe and I'm comfortable, you know, doing what you have called for me. Do you know the type of thing I'm talking about? This reluctance to actually give in and embrace what God has for you. Consider the story of Moses. you know about Moses at all? Did you ever read... Um, Exodus or see any of the movies, (laughs) at least see one of the movies about Moses, right? So the book of Exodus, we read about Moses, and here's this guy. He's been uniquely positioned by God. This is a Hebrew man raised by Egyptians, raised as an Egyptian prince, kicked out of Egypt, and there he is, and finally he becomes a shepherd, and then he has this experience with God, and God says, Moses, I'm calling you. This is God, all right, appearing to Moses, saying, I'm calling you to go back to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, a man who thinks he's a god. Go back to him and tell him he's got to release my people, the Israelites, from slavery. And Moses says, no, thank you. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound fun. I mean, Moses had a nice little thing going. He had a wife, he had some kids, he was a shepherd. It was a nice, easy, quiet, a quiet a quiet life. And so he pushes back against God's will for his life. He's not the only one to ever do that. And eventually he says, fine, I'll go and do what you have called me to do, created me to do. How about our buddy Jonah? You know about Jonah, Jonah and the whale. It's pretty famous for that, right? In fact, we don't know a lot about Jonah other than this little tiny incident that takes place in his life because that little tiny incident was so big. <laughs> yes. So God calls Jonah he says, Jonah, I need you to go. I know you're an Israelite. I need you to go to the Ninevites. Yes, the people who are the enemies of Israel who are treating you poorly. Go to the Ninevites and tell them they need to repent because if they don't repent, I will send my wrath upon them. And Jonah says, no thanks, God. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to lean into what you've called me to do. I'm not going to embrace what you've called me to do. In fact, I'm going to lean the other way. And he jumps on a boat going the other way, away from the Ninevites. And in this case, God doesn't always do this, but in this case, God wasn't taking no for an answer. The storm comes along, and the people throw Jonah over the boat. The big old fish swallows him up and spits him up on the shores of Nineveh, and God says, okay, we ready, Jonah? Because this is what I've called you to do and created you to do. You ready to go do it now? Go do it. And he doesn't. So we see this pattern throughout Christian history throughout world history, throughout Bible history, this, this pattern of being resistant to actually embracing and accepting your call can be very difficult. Take a look at this passage that Jillian read for us. 
And Julian, we could tell you worked on that passage because it wasn't an easy one. That first sentence was rough, right? <laughs> Take a look at this. <clears throat> so this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, giving them some instruction, perhaps a little bit of correction with something they were struggling with. He says, just as a body, <clears throat> just as a human body, though one, it's only one person, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. This is the reason that we call a church a body. We are a body of believers. We are a body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, all the different individual people, were all baptized by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, regardless of your background. And we've applied this in our modern situation, regardless of where you're coming from, if you have church in your past or if you don't, whatever. Now, now we're one. We're all given the one Spirit, Spirit of God, to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, ah, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, first off, that'd be very creepy. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We need these different parts. In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And so I have this visual, and I don't know if this is a bit disturbing or whatnot, but this idea of the kind of the Dr. Frankenstein method here, right? Pulling the parts together to make one body. And every individual member, every individual part has a role to play. And if one of the parts doesn't do their role, doesn't fulfill their role, then the whole body suffers. And the reason that Paul is writing this to this group of Christians is because this is a problem, is because we people have a history of embracing our calling. So consider this, you've got a hand, right? Somebody in the church is a hand, and, and Paul doesn't necessarily align, well, the hand is, is children's ministry, or the hand is preaching, whatever it is. He doesn't really make a comparison between every single part of the body and the function that it plays. But you have a hand, and let's say the hand is called by God to be a hand and do what a hand can do, yes? This person is called to be a hand and do what a hand can do, but the hand says to itself, I don't want to do what God has called me to do. I don't want to function as a hand, as a part of this body, so I just won't. And I'll just kind of sit in a pew and kind of do my impression of an appendix, yes? I'm still there. I'm still doing something that we don't quite understand. It's very mysterious, but I'm still there. But I'm not going to do the job of a hand because it's too difficult to be a hand. Paul says, well, if you're made to be a hand, then, then be a hand, yes? Or you're a foot. Right? In fact, I was going to call this message, Be a Foot, but I'm like, ah, it's kind of insulting. Yes, who wants to hear that? If you're a foot, you're supposed to do whatever a foot does. And maybe the foot looks up at the hand and says, you know what, that hand, that hand's not doing a very good job of being a hand. I think I could be a better hand than that hand. And so the foot, instead of being a foot, tries to be a hand. Doesn't work out great. Did you ever try to use your foot as a hand? Pick up some socks off the floor and pick them up and put them in the dirty laundry. It doesn't work as well. It doesn't function as well. 
But when all the parts are doing what they're designed to do, whoo, now the body is functioning just, just as it should. When I first started at Bethlehem Church, it's brand new there, and uh, you know, it doesn't take long when you join a new church for there to be some kind of a problem. And so we had some kind of a problem. There was a problem in the worship services. Actually, there was a couple problems in the worship services. And I was talking to one of my fellow staff members and saying, man, we got to get these problems solved, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I feel kind of helpless, and I don't know what to do, and I'm new here, and I just, I want to help. I want to help solve these problems in the worship service. And so my fellow staff member, who would later become a mentor of mine, he said to me, here's what you can do. Do your ministry with excellence. Do your ministry with excellence. And at the time, that didn't feel like very profound advice, but later I understood what that means. Listen, why am I worried about what's going on in these areas that I can't control? I'm not the leader. I'm not in charge. Let me do what I'm supposed to do. At that time, I was only supposed to focus on children's ministry. Why am I letting something else distract me over here? Do your thing with excellence. Whatever it is that you're called to be, whatever it is you're called to do, do that thing well, that part's not functioning well. That part's not functioning well. You function well, yes? Does this make sense? In that particular example, unbeknownst to me, the people who were in charge of that area were working on it. I was like, oh, okay, great. Why am I worried about it? But that's our tendency. Here we have a thing to do, a function, a role, something to do, something to perform, and we get sidetracked by all the other things that we could be doing. I wish I was that part. I wish I was that part. It's a real it's a real issue to be able to <clears throat> embrace God's calling. The number one reason, the number one re reason why we resist God's calling. Do you know what it is? Very simple. The number one reason we resist is because living out God's calling in your life is difficult. <laughs> That's it. That's all there is to it. Yeah? This is the number one reason we don't do anything we're supposed to do, because it's difficult. Why don't I eat the foods I'm supposed to eat? Because it's difficult. Why don't I go to the gym often or not? Because it's difficult, right? The number one reason we don't live into God's calling for our lives is because it's difficult. Let me tell you, living out God's calling in your life, you ready? I'm not going to pull any punches this morning. Living out God's call, it's not fun. I mean, sometimes it can be. It's not, but overall, it's not necessarily Happy, fun time. Ministry and work, those two terms are practically synonymous. It's work. It takes work. Now, you know what is fun? Vision casting is fun. Do you know what that is? Vision casting, having an idea for something that you're about to do, yeah? Like back in those days when I was resisted to becoming a church planter, the idea was a lot of fun. Oh, think about what that could be and think about the people you could pull in and the kind of programs you have. That vision casting is fun, yeah? And maybe you have an idea for some kind of thing, a program, an event, a ministry. Maybe it's through this church. Maybe it's in your community. Some kind of thing you want to do. And we're going to do a Friday night dinner once a month. And we're going to have guest speakers come in. And we're going to connect with people outside from the community. And you get all excited about this idea. Yeah, vision is fun. Yeah? Woo-wee! Let's do it. But then you have to do it. You got to make the phone calls. Send out the emails. Find a budget. This stuff isn't fun. This isn't fun. 
And sometimes when God has called us to do something, we have that vision for it, and we get to work, and we realize this isn't fun. Sometimes then we say, well, maybe I was wrong. This wasn't my calling. No, it's your calling. It's just, it's just not fun. You think what Moses did was fun? You think he went to bed with a smile on his face? <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, man. Go up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's on his case. The Israelites are on his case. All these miracles are performed. Oh, my goodness. That generation, the Israelites, they saw all these miracles, these wonders, these disasters that God brought on the land of Egypt. And then Moses takes them out of Egypt and gives them their freedom. And they're like, we want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt. Yeah, we were slaves, but we got to eat fish. Are you kidding me? Do you think Moses had fun? Do you think Jonah had fun? Are you kidding me? No. You want to get swallowed up by some kind of sea creature and then spit up? Are you kidding me? No, it's not, it's not going to be fun. How about the Batman of the Old Testament, Nehemiah? That's who he is, by the way. Nehemiah, working for the Persian king, an Israelite man working for the Persian king. And the Israelites were back home. They were allowed to go back home. The Israelites had been taken captive by the Babylonians, and then the Persians overtake the Babylonians, and the Persians say, you guys can go back home if you want. Like, okay, yeah, we'll go back home. So the Israelites begin to trickle back to the Holy Land, to the Holy City of Jerusalem. Nehemiah stays. He's working for the king. He's got a thing going there. And one of his brothers comes and he says, hey, how's it going back with my people? Nehemiah's asking, how's it going back with our people? You know, the people of God, the Israelites. Everything great now that they're back in Jerusalem, back in the Holy City? Nehemiah's brother says, no. As a matter of fact, it's not going great. The temple's torn down. Walls around the city are torn down. Nehemiah, we're a laughing stock. Nehemiah's like, what? We're the people of God. We're supposed to be a city on a hill, a shining example of God's unique. We're supposed to be God's people. And he hears this news about the disgrace that the Israelites are living in, and he's broken, and he fasts, and he prays, and he says, God, grant me favor with the king, because here is Nehemiah, uniquely positioned by God to do something that only he could do. And if he didn't do it, nobody else could. And so he prays, God, grant me favor with this king. I've got his ear. I've got his attention. Grant me favor with the king. And the king initiates the conversation. Nehemiah, what's wrong? He says, my people are living in disgrace. And the king has the power to send Nehemiah back with safe passage, with money, with supplies to work on this project. And so he goes back to Israel. He says, people of Israel, I'm here. I'm here to help. Let's get to work on this wall. And they start working on the wall. And the people complain. And the people grumble. And he says, okay, guys, Israelites, where do you live? You live over here? Okay, you work on this section of the wall. You live over here? You work on this section of the wall. And he's trying to get people invested in their own community, invested on their part of the wall. And they're doing this. And so the Israelites are giving them a hard time. Then the Israelites are fighting among themselves. He's like, what are you guys doing? What's happening? And so the rich were kind of ripping off the poor. He's like, stop doing that. Stop charging this interest on these loans. What are you doing? We're one people. Let's work together. So his own people are giving him a hard time. The enemies, enemies of Israel are giving Nehemiah a hard time. Like, hey, take a look at Nehemiah's wall. What a piece of junk. <laughs> what are you doing, man? If a fox ran along that wall, it would crumble. Do you think it was fun to be Nehemiah? No, it's not fun. Nehemiah 6, chapter 3. People are teasing him. 
mocking him, questioning, why are you doing this? And Nehemiah says, chapter 6, verse 3, says, I am doing a great work. Maybe it didn't feel great in the moment. And I suspect when Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work, maybe that's a mantra. Maybe that's something he's telling himself to remember as he's picking up these stones, as he's picking up this rubble and trying to reassemble a wall. This is worth doing. I am doing a great work. And he keeps at it. Was it fun? What's fun got to do with it? What's fun got to do with it? Holly's favorite movie is A League of Their Own. Anybody like A League of Their Own? It's a great movie. By a round of applause, two people. Fantastic. <clears throat> no, it's a great movie. The most famous line from A League of Their Own is, of course, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. The second most famous line, I think, is that scene where uh, Gina Davis' character, Dottie, right? Dottie? Dottie? I think. I should know that. <clears throat> so Dottie's about to quit the team. And she says, it just got too hard. It just got too hard. And what does Tom Hanks say? It's the hard that makes it great. <sighs> yeah. It's the hard that makes it great. It's the hard that makes it worth doing. And Nehemiah could have heard from his brother, hey, our people are in distress. I'm sorry to hear about that, but I got my thing going here, and I'm just going to live my quiet, comfortable life, and then I'll die, and that's it. No. He didn't choose the easy path. He didn't choose the comfortable path. He did what God was calling him to do. Is it fun? What's fun got to do with it? It's beyond fun. It's satisfying. It's worth doing. It is satisfying. Do you know that type of thing I'm talking about? Where you have that experience where you're doing what God has called you to do, and you just feel like, yes, this isn't easy, but this is worth doing. How has God called you? What is he calling you to do? How is he calling you? you to serve? Where have you caught yourself resisting God's call? Do you go before God and say, tell me what to do with my life as long as it's within these circle of things? Tell me what to do, God. Where have you found yourself resisting God's call? You're trying to identify what God has for you? I really think it doesn't have to be that difficult. Just take a look at your life. How are you uniquely positioned? You're, what's the difference between you and Nehemiah? Nothing. You are uniquely positioned to do something that only you can do because nobody else can. So what do you do well? What about your education, your experience? You consider all these things like this is what God has for you. Members of this church, what can you do better than anybody else here? It's not about being arrogant or being boastful. About what are you really good at? Lean into that. That's probably what God has given you to do. Lean into what you're good at. As a local church, yeah, we need volunteers to run this thing, absolutely. We need people who are willing to embrace their calling and, and serve in children's ministry, to serve with teaching children's church and to serve in nursery. Do you have that gifting? Are you good with kids? Are you good with kids? Are you not using, are you not tapping into that? You should be serving. Do what God has created you to do. Do what you're good at. Do what you're good at. What are you doing? Get back there. <laughs> do what God has created you to do. Are you good at tech? Look at there's a whole team of people up there that make this thing happen. 
If you have that gifting, if you have that talent, if you're just sitting on it, what are you doing? Do something with it. Do you have this kind of hospitality type thing and you can make snacks and you like serving? Like there's a whole thing that happens, the Hope Cafe. Go do, tap into that. Tap into these things. Do you know how to fix stuff? Like, I don't know, a church building? <laughs> you got those gifts? You know what to do about this situation? Yeah? If you have that talent, if you have that gifting, tap into it and do what God has called you to do. Join the property committee. Be a part of that. Are you good? Oh, boy. Are you good at teaching the Bible? Do you realize what a precious gifting that is? Start a Bible study. Tap into it. Do it. And beyond all these, you know, come on, beyond all these, like, official volunteer positions in the church, I'm not, we're not going to limit God to just those things. Beyond just these official volunteer positions in the church, what are you good at? Lean into what you're good at. Lean into your calling. Work on it. Living into your calling I'm not pulling any punches today. Living into your calling, it is difficult, and it will require sacrifice, and it isn't necessarily fun, but it is profoundly satisfying. When you do something, you feel like, man, this is what God put me on this earth to do, and you do it, like, yes. That sense of satisfaction, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, that sense of satisfaction you get, I did it. I had that conversation. God put me in the spot. I had that conversation. I shared that wisdom. Yes. I was in the right place at the right time, and that person needed something, and I had two ears, and I listened, and that's what I needed to do, and I did what God made me to do. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? You guys up here, this band, the band was on fire today. What's going on with our band, man? Awesome. When you're up there and you're Jamie singing and we're playing, like, wow, to do what God has gifted you to do. It's such a sense of satisfaction. Is it easy? What's easy got to do with it? It is satisfying. It's why we're here. Don't shy away from your calling. Don't go to heaven and then look back on what you missed. Lean into that calling to have that. Big examples of living into your calling. Small examples of living into your calling. When that, when that meal train goes out over email and there's a person in your neighborhood that's in need of a meal and you're like, I can do this. I've got the time. I've got the talent. I'm going to deliver this meal. I'm going to be kind. Boom. I did it. Yeah? I did it. I did what God put me on this earth to do. And you teach that Bible class and the class is over. And in that class, somebody was there, and they never heard this before. And they walk away forever changed. And you think to yourself, I did it. You're in line at the grocery store. And that lady in front of you, she doesn't have enough money, and you pay. And you think, you know what? I had the money. I was right there. I did something that God made me to do. Woo! Profoundly satisfying. This is the type of thing that I think Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10, verse 10. When Jesus says he has come into this world to give us this gift, the gift of an abundant life, the gift of a life that's worth leaning, living, a gift of a life that is rich with meaning and purpose, this is a life Jesus desires for us. The thing about us Christians, we will always be tempted to resist God's call. We will always be tempted to settle for less than what God is calling us to. We'll always be tempted to say, God, isn't this enough? Isn't this good enough? And 
we will be tempted to quit when the going gets tough. But if we fight back against those temptations, and if we fully embrace God's call, we will experience that abundant life that Jesus desires for us. And when all of us who are members of Hope Community Church, if we all live into our calling, if we all fulfill our individual roles, then we will be the body that Jesus always intended us to be. Let's pray on that. Father God, we ask that in this moment you would break down those walls that exist in our hearts, break down that resistance that exists within our spirits. You know, sometimes, God, we're just afraid to discover what you have for us, what you want for us. And so I'd ask you to eliminate that fear. Let us courageously come before you and say, what do you have for me, God? Let us not settle for less than what you have called us to. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.